of the most interesting things in the world. Try and imagine what it will be like to go to sleep and never wake up. I am the sun. It's been a while since I've been on the mic. I spit what I like and looking for a different... Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the DMT World Podcast. My name is Alex8721. And today we have Kate McCabe on. I first met Kate at one of the Phoenix Psychedelic Group's uh, meetups uh, earlier this year. Uh, when I first uh, joined that group, uh, the first meeting was surrounding Ibogaine. And she was the speaker there. She shared her story that she shared here today with us um, regarding her experience with Ibogaine 5-MeO-DMT and how it you know, helped her with the heroin and opiate addiction. Uh, she's a big proponent of plant medicines as well as Ibogaine and toad medicine, 5-MeO-DMT. Uh, she's a proud supporter of the Decriminalized Nature Arizona group as well. Um, right now, she's working as a part-time intake coordinator for the Nouvelle Ibogaine Clinic in Tijuana. And she also has aspirations of, of opening her own clinic in Mexico, specializing in the toad medicine. Um, if you're in Phoenix, feel free to join us right now. We're doing a lot of stuff on Zoom, but, you know, we meet pretty regularly, at least once a month. Uh, there's a link in the description. Also, there's another link there for um, her fiance, Dr. Gerardo Sandoval Isaac, who is a big proponent of the, the 5-MeO-DMT, the toad medicine and there's also a link in the description totemedicine.org he's actually a pretty interesting figure in this in the psychedelic community he's been on a bunch of stuff as well it's a really interesting guy currently she's assisting and conducting the intakes for the Nouvelle Ibogaine Clinic in Tijuana and uh, she's also there's also a link in the description for her the clinic that she's going to launch um, soon. Hopefully, with once this COVID nineteen stuff blows over, she'll be able to accomplish that. And um, I wish her much success in all of that. Ibogaine is a very interesting plant medicine. I've been researching this thing since last year, and uh, there's a couple of documentaries on YouTube. I'll put I'll put a link in the description as well. It's it's a very fascinating story where this plant originated from, and you know how it came to be, and. Also, you know, Howard Watsoff, you know, how he was such a big proponent and got this thing put on the map. So very interesting stuff. Great conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it. My audio was a little bit crappy there. Uh, I failed at the end and you know, I was using my, my camera microphone, but it is what it is. Thanks for listening, guys and gals. Thank you for your support and um, very much appreciated. Keep spreading that love. Love you. And Kate, welcome to the DMT World Podcast. Thank you for coming on here. Thank you for having me. Now, um, I know uh, I first met you at the, um, there's a group meeting here at, in Phoenix um, that I was attending, Phoenix Psychedelics? Yes, Phoenix Psychedelics. That's right. And um, the first time I went to the group, it was the Ibogaine uh, group and I know you have, um, you know, your experience with Ibogaine, and um, I just wanted to see if you can share that with us here. Sure, I'd love to. Oh well, you know what? First of all, um, if you could, if you could just give us a little uh, a little uh, backstory, um, you know, kind of uh, who you are and what you do and so forth prior to that. Sure. Okay. Um, well, I got into psychedelics pretty late in my life. Um, not that I'm that old, I'm 31, but 
but I got into them when I was 27 and it was very unexpected. I was dealing with um, a pretty hardcore heroin opiate addiction and I had been for 10 plus years and um, I started out, well, of course, like no one just goes straight to heroin. Like I kind of started off like partying when I was younger and that led to cocaine. And then um, when I was 18, I got introduced to heroin and I kind of knew what I was messing with, but I mean, no one really does with heroin. And I quickly got overwhelmed and I got wrapped up into this crazy uh, drug addiction. And that was pretty difficult. Um, I tried, I tried a bunch of stuff to get off of it and I could get off of it for brief periods of time, like after rehab, after detoxes. Um, I was on Suboxone for a while and um, eventually I got on methadone and that's where I got really hooked. And that was really difficult. Um, I was on that for five years and when I went on methadone, it was almost like I just want to prolong this feeling of opiates. Like I knew I couldn't do it for the rest of my life, but it was almost like a giving up type thing. And um, so I was on that. And then eventually I was just like, you know, I want to get off of this. And getting off of methadone is much harder than getting off of heroin. So um, I started like looking, you know, for alternative things online and I came across something called Ibogaine. And I think I had heard it before. I think like, you know, um, in life, like a few people had brought it up to me, but I never really seriously considered it. And then I started looking into it and I saw, oh, it's illegal in the US. I'm gonna have to travel um, to a country where it's legal. And just kind of a bunch of things happened. It took me a long time to decide to like do Ibogaine. I think it was about six months of just researching, talking to different clinics, trying to raise the money um, that it takes to do Ibogaine. It's quite expensive. And then the next thing I know, um, I am on a plane to San Diego and I go to Tijuana and I experienced Ibogaine. And, you know, for me, I hear this a lot with like people talking about Ibogaine. It was like it had to work. If it didn't work, I didn't know what I was going to do because I hated being on methadone. Now, and, uh, the Suboxone and the methadone for, <clears throat> for people who are, who are unfamiliar what are these are like just medications that are prescribed to you to kind of help with the withdrawals or is it just kind of in place uh, of an opiate or something like that yes I should no. do they have like the same kind of effect as, as like an opiate do they kind of you know give you that same kind of um feeling or how, how does it help or I would say, I mean no it's not the same feeling but um one of the reasons opiates and heroin is so hard to um, quit is because of the physical withdrawals they produce. And addicts will really do about anything to not have to face those withdrawals. Um, and so they end up on substances like 
suboxone and methadone. And when someone goes through withdrawals, you know, it might be a week um, if you're coming off of heroin of like hard withdrawals. But then even after that, you have like another month of just trying to stabilize and feel good. Um, yeah, so I think that's why people go to drugs like Suboxone and Methadone. And they're also legal forms because it's like, you know, it's really hard to maintain um, a drug addiction because you're dealing with an illegal substance that's very expensive. Well, the, also like with, with the opioids and, 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 and similar uh, substances, you almost need it physically to be to feel better it's it doesn't it's almost like um you're no longer chasing the the effects you're just trying to get through the day <laughs> right i mean it's um you get sick like physically too right like you have um you get the fever like you feel like you you have the flu right yes you feel like you have the flu times 10 um it's just absolutely horrible and you just know that there's one little thing out there that will make all the pain go away. Um, so it's really like a mind fuck too, you know? Uh, so there's a cycle. I, I know I've, I've spoken to a few people um, who have had, you know, a pretty bad heroin um, addiction and, you know, it's the same thing. And I, I myself have struggled with opioids as well in the past. And, you know, it is really easy just to slip back into that, you know, okay, I'm, I'm feel, I feel better now. You know, I got that that little piece or whatever it is that you took and, and everything feels just fine. <laughs> like you're normal. You're not even, um, like you're not even having the high anymore. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a dangerous, um, dangerous road for sure. It really is. And you're right. It's like, it's, it's almost like you're not even like living. It's like, you're kind of a zombie and you're just a slave to these substances. And I mean, I didn't want to be taking the substances that I was taking. I know most addicts, like, they just, they, they hate themselves for taking it, but it's like, you can't stop. And I think that's a lot of the damage that, you know, we do to our brain um, with narcotics and addictive substances. Like, you just, you need to take a dose just to level out and be normal. And it's, it's really sad. God, uh, so so then uh, you were on the Suboxone for a little bit, then you were on the methadone. And how long were you on the methadone for? I was on the methadone for five years, um, and that was just too long. But it it was almost more addictive than the heroin, and it was just so easy to go to, um, you know, the clinic and get that. And then... I know there's a lot of different clinics out there, but my clinic um, at the end did not support me trying to taper off of it. They told me things like, um, you can stay on it for the rest of your life. You can have a child on this substance. And that's when I really knew something was wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds scary. Like <laughs> It is. And I wasn't trying to have a child either. I want to clarify that um, on the methadone or anything. But there were just things that I knew that were wrong. And um, they were being repeated. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like methadone, no one really pressured me to get on methadone. That was my choice. And I knew um, there was a bunch of stigma. But I also knew the stigma was like, oh, man, it must be some good shit, which I know sounds so stupid. But that's kind of how you think when you're an addict sometimes. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's right. God. So is this something uh, well, from, from what I'm, what I know and for the people that I've spoke to, this is like a medical alternative, right? Uh, the methadone and the suboxone, like this is the kind of stuff that like, I, I remember being in a, uh, rehabilitation uh, program to the Veterans Affairs. And there was a lot of guys there that were, you know, kicking, you know, heroin and, you know, along with other medications, they were also providing, you know, some of the veterans there, you know, uh, methadone or suboxone because that was, you know, in place of the heroin or the opioids. So this is something you can go to a doctor and get like a prescription for, right? There's some different rules. Yeah, Suboxone, I think you can still go get a script. Methadone, they make it complicated. So you have to go to a clinic and then the longer you're clean for, um, the more take-home doses you get. I think some people do get scripts for methadone, but it's normally not for like addiction. It's for like pain relief and stuff like that. I see. Uh, and then, so at that point when you were taking the methadone, how, how long were you um, kind of in that in that state of mind, so to speak, from, you know, from once you first started using opiates or heroin until, you know, you got to the point where you're on um, methadone and you decided to start searching for these alternatives? I would say it was probably after four years on methadone. So I really tried to find a solution for a year. Um, and I tried to taper off the methadone, like the clinic recommended. And I just couldn't do that. Um, I had a really good job at that time. I'm a paralegal and I was working as a paralegal. I was actually making a lot of money and my social life wasn't that exciting, but I mean, in outside appearances, like I looked like I had um, a pretty good life and I was losing it um, by doing the taper because I was slowly going crazy and I was always in withdrawal and people would be like, what's going on? And I would snap at people and then I'd go to the clinic and they'd be like, you're acting crazy. We think that you need to go to a psychiatrist and get on. Um, you know, like a mood stabilizer and antidepressant. And then I would tell them it was just like, well, I don't need to be on a mood stabilizer and antidepressant. I just need to get off this methadone because the methadone is causing that, you know? So it was just like a horrible, um, you know, I don't think you're supposed to be diagnosed with anything like depression or like any kind of mood thing for at least six months um after you're clean you know you really need that time because of course your emotions are going to be crazy you're trying to get off a really addictive substance wow you know i i would hate to to i wonder about people that you know would believe you know clinics like that or, or people and and just wonder how long you know, others go on these things for, for methadone, you know, for, for their entire life, you know, like, what, what does that even look like? Like, a, it's just, just the thought of it is a little scary, you know? It really is. And like, it's hard because since doing I believe in all of this, even talking about this, my, oh, sorry, my life has changed um, 
so dramatically. So it's hard for me to like look back and like it's really like you know right now I'm just so grateful from where I for where I am right now from what it was and like looking at a whole life with um, methadone. God, that is such a frightening. Now, um, <clears throat> so when when you when you got to that point, and what what was it that got you? Um... Brought you to Ibogaine, like what was it? Um, I mean, there's all these other substances, right? Um, well, yeah, so this again sounds very drug addict y, but um, I started trying to go down to like the science of heroin addiction, of opioid addiction, and what it is, and I knew that it's much harder to withdraw off of. Um, a long-acting opioid than it is to a draw after a short-acting. And I didn't want to go back to heroin because I made all this progress on the methadone. And so I was just, you know, researching, like, clinics that give short-acting opioids to come off of that, and those don't exist in the U.S. And I think that's kind of what made me stumble upon Ibogaine because then I, like, read about the substance that's, like, it completely takes away um, opioid withdrawals and I was very intrigued I was incredibly skeptical that it wasn't going to do what it said it was going to do no I think one time I, I the first time I heard about game was maybe uh, two or three years ago no yeah about three or three or four years ago and I remember because um one of my uncles, who was a lifelong alcoholic, had said something about a clinic in Mexico. And he comes back and forth between Mexico and here <clears throat> back then. And he was telling me about um, some of his, or somebody who knew who went down to this clinic with her, giving them some medication that they got from like a tree or a bush or something. And then I heard it again on a podcast like that same year. And I remember looking into it and being like, wow, this is something else. But, you know, the only thing about Ibogaine that kind of sets it apart from these other substances is that it's in a clinical setting already, especially like in Mexico, for like for us here, being in America, that's the closest. And it kind of sets it apart from all these other, um, you know, substances or psychedelics <clears throat> in that it's, um, it's already in a professional setting, you know, and people have to travel outside of the country to go there so I kind of for me just kind of you know looked over it a little bit but still kind of you know still kind of paid a little bit of attention to it not until you know last year when you know when I met you and, and we went to the group there I started researching a little bit more but it's definitely been doing um they've been doing a lot of work with with uh, Ibogaine down there yeah, it's it's really um, amazing, you know, those clinics and the work they do, and they're not often recognized. And it's just like, you know, the U.S., we're so close-minded, and it's like we always think that our ways are the best because we're the U.S. and we're the best country and stuff. But I have to say, um, with medical care, I think, foreign countries have a lot to offer. And even like, you know, what's being shown right now with the coronavirus, like our healthcare system has a lot of flaws. Yeah, definitely. Now, <clears throat> how was your, um, your, now, 
how was your experience uh, with with Ibogaine when you when you decided to uh, finally take the the plunge there, so to speak? So I should also um, mention too, I couldn't go straight from methadone to ibogaine. I actually had to get a morphine script and I had to stay on that for 30 days. So that right away, like I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to Tijuana. I'm going to be on this morphine for 30 days. Like this just seems so sketchy. But there was a part of me that's just like, no, like you don't really have any other alternatives. Um and so I was on that and I was scared. Um, the clinic I went to is no longer operating, but it was run by this awesome psychologist who was based out of San Diego. And she really like held my hand through a lot of it. She's like, no, you know, you're not being bad. You're getting on the morphine so you can do the ibogaine. So I did therapy with her um, before I even went to the clinic. And then once I was at the clinic, um, you know, she was just there, like, really reassuring. Yeah, so I think that's really important, um, having someone, like, you trust, like, prepare you for kind of going in and stuff. Someone who also, you know, um, is a professional and kind of knows what to say and what not to say. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. can send you down a, a, a spiral, huh? Yeah. No. I thought that was important. Sorry. Oh no, go ahead. The so the the morphine was um was recommended by the clinic that you were going to attend that you were going to have this uh, beginning uh, session with. Yes. Um. However, it was very difficult to get the script of morphine. I had to travel to a place like right outside of LA. Actually, not right outside. It was like an hour away. Uh-huh. And it was sketchy. It was like this doctor who did a bunch of plastic surgery who uh-huh. also helped people prepare for ibogaine. Uh-huh. And so I went into his office and it's cash only. And they're like, do you want morphine or do you want Dilaudid? And my eyes lit up. But I just, I was really focused on getting um, sober. You know, uh-huh. I didn't want to be high any longer. So I chose the morphine and um, I stayed on that. Unfortunately, I don't think he's still doing that. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of liability giving apps like drugs like that. But if you're on a substance like Suboxone or Methadone, um, it makes it a lot harder to go do ibogaine. Unfortunately. Now, is it just like some kind of like a health issue or something like that? Well, those are both um, long-acting opioids, and ibogaine really targets the same opioid receptors um as like the opioids do so they go in there and if you have a long-acting opioid it will stay in and it'll clog the receptors for about 30 days and so that's why you kind of have to trick your body to get on something like morphine which is more um from the plant like from the opium plant So it's kind of easier. And then um, you go into withdrawal faster. I'm not sure if I'm explaining all of this as well as I would like to. But yeah, so it's just one of those things where it's a lot harder to transfer from the long acting ones, which are the ones that are um, legal in the U.S. Uh Yeah, so you kind of want to be in the withdrawal state once you're getting ready to ingest the ibogaine 
right? Yes, you need to abstain for um, 12 hours before you take the ibogaine. Yeah, I remember um, I was watching this documentary with um, Lopsoff, Howard Lopsoff, where he was talking about how he had taken ibogaine. He didn't even know what it was, but he, he had taken this ibogaine and then he had gone through this whole experience. And then afterwards, you know, the first thing he noticed was that he wasn't, he wasn't in withdrawals, you know, when he normally would have been. Um, it's pretty crazy, pretty crazy, to, or pretty profound. Yes. Yeah, that's, uh, so when you, so when you finally got down there, how was the whole process? I mean, what was like, um, what was the, the, the place like, was there a process for you to get in there and, and um, you know, get, get situated and so forth? It was pretty laid back. I mean, now I go to Mexico a lot, but back then um, I wasn't going as often. So it was kind of a trip for me to cross the border. Someone picked me up at the airport. Um, They took me across the border into Tijuana. And then I showed up at this house. It was a really nice house in uh, Playa's Tijuana. And I was the only patient there, which I really like. Um, And I just kind of go in and there were two women working there. One was the psychologist I mentioned. And, you know, they treated me very nicely and they kind of listened to me cry and me be really scared about the ibogaine. Um, But yeah, they really made it as comfortable, I think, as it could be. That's nice. That's uh, one thing about um, one thing I've noticed about <clears throat> uh, some guided or semi-guided type um, experiences is um, there's a lot of benefit there, especially for people that are new to psychedelics um, or you know even like the MDMA uh, therapies. Um, you know, having that guide or even just somebody to kind of ground you or you know keep you you know, somewhat calm along your uh, journey. Um, <clears throat> there's a big benefit in that. I think without that, there would be a lot more people that would, you know, that would not be, you know, trying these uh, alternative um, medicines or treatments. I agree. Do you feel that really helped you a lot? Yeah, I think just having um, a standard of people also being like professional and then just like them being so nice and so sweet and loving and open. It's just, you know, it's really about creating the set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah, that's uh, that is like number one, uh, you know, making you feel comfortable and making yourself feel comfortable. You know, a lot of times people get into this, <clears throat> into, you know, trying psychedelics and you know without that kind of research or knowledge you know you can end up having a pretty traumatic experience you can and i mean ibogaine on things like ibogaine the toad ayahuasca these are pretty intense psychedelics i mean things can happen when you're under the influence that they kind of just like even defy like human logic, like, you know, like you don't know what you're going to be releasing. You want to be as comfortable as possible and around people who are experienced, who aren't going to judge you and be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that you had that 
I really am. Now, how was the the actual uh, like once you took so once you got settled in there and um, you know everything you know you're calmed down and, and ready? Well, did you take the substance right away? Or did you have to wait that twelve hours after um, the last? Um, I think I was there for probably like three days before I took it. And that was just because they wanted me to be comfortable. Um, before I took it, you have to do like labs. You need an EKG. You need um, to take the labs and then the time for them to come back. And they make sure everything is good with your liver and you don't have any infections or anything like that. Was there any kind of like um, diet restrictions or anything like that while you were there? Um, it's not like ayahuasca, but I think I eat vegetarian. I'm not sure if that's the must with it. You want to take it easy on the food, though, because ibogaine is pretty, uh, it makes you pretty nauseous. So it's more so just kind of on your own you did that? <clears throat> yeah. Probably like no steak. Like I think if you wanted to eat chicken or fish, that would probably be fine. Um, it just so happened where I was, they were vegetarian, so I also eat vegetarian. I was like it was meant to be. Yes, that's definitely absolutely. I definitely feel that with my experience with psychedelics and all of that. It's like you know, um, ibogaine really calls people. And I feel like I was called, like, you just kind of put out there to God that you need help. And um, if you just keep praying and keep believing, like, I think God really answers, answers our prayers. <clears throat> so you were there for a few days. They they took um, took vitals and made sure your, your, the blood work and so forth, made sure your liver was good. And then <clears throat> after all the, the medical stuff was done there, um, did you take the Ibogaine there at the same location there as well? Actually, it was at a different house. Um, they did not offer Ibogaine at the same house. So I went to this other house um, where the actual procedure was done. I think that that's kind of standard, though, with the Ibogaine thing. Um, I'm not really sure why it's lined up like that. I think it's like there's a few doctors and TJ who do it. And even if you go to one clinic, you might be treated with people from a different clinic when it comes down to it. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it's like you go to the place and then you get treated. But for my experience, it was at a different house. Um, it wasn't as nice. I'm not going to lie, but I was actually more comfortable there. And so then um, I was there and the people who took care of me there were more of like the medical side of ibogaine, like the nurse, the EMT, and then the doctor was also there. And prior to um, <clears throat> ingesting the ibogaine, was there anything else that you had to go through once, once you got to the location there? Um, well, they normally start pretty late at night. I think for me, they started around nine. So I got to the location. I remember smoking a lot of cigarettes outside on the porch, just, you know, kind of being in withdrawal, not feeling good and just wishing, you know, it would happen. Like, I want to take the pills. I want to take the ibogaine. I want to get going. And um, 
eventually we did start, you know, later in the night and yeah, it was given to me and three different pills. The first pill is kind of like a little tester to make sure you're not allergic to ibogaine and to make sure you're not going to have any bad reaction. Um, the second pill is supposed to be the pill that takes away all of your withdrawals if you're detoxing. And then the third pill, normally you're kind of feeling the ibogaine by then. And so the third pill, um, that's when the trip like really starts to get intense. These pills, are these are just like different doses of ibogaine that you're taking? Yes. And so the ibogaine is weighed out um, according to your weight. And so the bigger you are, the more ibogaine you're going to get. I think most people get in between a gram and a gram and a half for a blood dose. I've heard that I've heard that term a few times, but flood dose is like that last dose that you're talking about, right? The third pill that you took that night? Yes. So the flood doses are a really large um, amount of ibogaine. And normally people only get it when they're detoxing, because even if you're going um, to do ibogaine for like, you know, spiritual reasons or to connect um, or for other reasons, not detoxing, I don't think you get quite as much as you do if you're detoxing. So it's just the flood dose is like full trip. And I think that's when it comes into like, you know, you hear people tripping for like 24 hours and stuff. You really need like a flood dose to do that. And that is what when you took you took that flood, flood dose and that third pill? Well, all three pills are combined, the flood dose, but yeah. Oh, I see. I see. They just, I think it's a lot to like give it at once. And I think ibogaine, um, it's such a beautiful substance, but there are risks for certain people. So I think it's safer to give it in like smaller amounts. And I think there's also some people we'll never even get to the third pill because the second pill is so uh, intense. Wow. They're like, we don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It, it really makes me nervous to think about these things. Like <clears throat> I, you know, it's, it's just the one plant itself too, right? So it's um, uh, like a, it's like an extract of iboga, uh, different types of plants that contain this this ibogaine right mm -hmm. there's no maoi nothing else it's just pure ibogaine extracted from this one plant or two i believe right two different types i think it's just one um and it's just like it isolates out a lot of the more risky alkaloids like that's how you get the ibogaine i think it's seven alkaloids in the ibogaine and um yeah now, how was the experience once you, like, how long did it take to kick in and, and, and how was, like, the actual experience while, after you took the, <clears throat> the Ibogaine? Well, it was pretty, it was different. It's like, at this, now I've had experiences with a lot of other psychedelics, but at that time I had no experience really with psychedelics besides, like, mushrooms few times um when I was younger and I don't think they're very good mushrooms and with the ibogaine like it came on so slowly 
Um, I remember telling the people like, hey, like, I don't think it's working. And they're like, okay, we're going to give you more, you know, we're going to give you that third pill, it should be working by now. And then the next thing I know, or like I noticed there was like a little African um, tribal guy, like sitting next to the bed. And he was straight up there. Like, this wasn't like, you know, people say Ibogaine is kind of like lucid dreaming. Like, no, this guy was in the room. And he kind of walked around the bed and he kissed me on the cheek. And then as soon as he did that, all of my withdrawals were taken away. And it was, then the trip really started to begin. Now, were you, how were you feeling at that time? Were you, did you feeling anxiety? Were you nervous? Were you scared? I was in withdrawal up until that point, And I just kept thinking, I was just like, oh my God, all of this and it's not going to work and stuff. And it wasn't until that little guy kissed me that it was just like, okay, now I'm starting to feel better. Um, soon after that, I was having... I was starting to feel like pretty nauseous. It's a strange sensation with ibogaine. Like when it first comes on, you're going to hear like a buzzing in your ear. And uh, it sounds like bees. And then as your trip progresses, like it'll get louder and louder almost to where um, it sounds like construction workers. And so I was hearing the buzzing. And at the same time, I started to feel like I was... uh, seasick like I was on a boat and everything was kind of hard to move it was almost like I was like really drunk and stuff and I remember I kept wanting to get up and use the bathroom and just kind of try to like walk it off like walk off that like seasick feeling but you can't do that um you just need to like lay there now um I know like um for example, like with with DMT and then dimethyltryptamine, a lot of times, <clears throat> like for me, the experiences that I've had, you know, like I've left my, it's kind of hard to explain it, but I, I feel like I have left my body almost like, um, and, and, you know, physically, it looks like I'm sleeping, <clears throat> but, you know, my mind is some, you know, elsewhere, like I'm in a dream state, a dream state, but like a, just a different place. But while you're under with with Ibogaine, you're still able to move around and, and still kind of, you know, in that place, so to speak. Yes, you're still in the same place um, or like, you know, you're there like you haven't. It's not like with Toad or something where you go off somewhere else. It's like you're conscious the whole time. Um, you're aware of people around you. And it's just kind of like deep tripping within that and it's very introspective like you kind of go internal um you kind of go through a lot of people say they like have kind of like a spiritual walk through their life and they kind of visit different things and different traumas. Strangely enough, I did not get that with ibogaine. Um, and I've done it since that, since the first time too. And I didn't get it then either. But I just kind of went somewhere like deep inside. And it was just like this voice that was like, you don't have to be in pain anymore. Like everything is okay. And I think I remember that like the strongest um, 
I didn't really get like crazy visuals besides the little African man. Um, I got visuals more in my head. Like if I closed my eyes, then it'd be tripping and it would look like you know, very like acid like, but it wasn't like I would look at someone and they would be melting or anything like that. You know the 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 vision or the 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 guy that you saw, you know, I I in the last since uh, last year when I first started looking into Ibogaine, you you hear that or read that a lot. And a lot of the people's um, trip reports is where they'll see like mm, people that are indigenous to the place of where this plant is from. You know, mm-hmm. you see that a lot. That's um, that's a, a unique thing about the Ibogaine from from what I've read. Um, that's something else. I, I, I can't think of um, <clears throat> any other. Well, I guess for ayahuasca, there is some stuff, especially for people that go out into the jungle and, you know, partake there. You know, they see a lot of, you know, indigenous people or, or, you know, animals that are, you know, there in that area. But, I mean, the Ibogaine, you know, you're in a clinic, you know, a couple thousand miles away from this place and you're still able to, like, like, literally see these people. (laughs) That's, uh... Yeah. I thought about the exact same thing. It's just, it's wild how it's like, you know, Ibogaine is, it comes from the root um, of that plant. So it's like, you know, it's like really like rooted in, but it's beautiful. Um, A lot, but a lot of people do say like, you know, they see that. And a lot of people call that Papa Iboga, like, you know, he's like your spiritual guide. um, and, And I believe that. And I just believe how people are drawn to Ibogaine. It really like calls you from your life. And it's like a plant that like, reaches out and touches you yeah it's um something else now um did did your experience did it last you know you know how long did it did it last for you um for me it lasted about eight hours and I think that's really unusual um I was told that's pretty unusual after the eighth hour I was up I was hungry. I wanted to do stuff. Um, I didn't really have much of a hangover. I just couldn't believe like I wasn't in withdrawal and I just kept waiting. I was just like, okay, this isn't going to last. Like I'm going to obviously like be in withdrawal soon. And like, once I learned that, like, no, like, you know, um, I'm not in withdrawal. Like I just wanted to experience everything. There was a guy who did it at the same time. Um, he was this German guy who was living in Mexico. His name was Wolfgang, actually. <laughs> Such a funny name. I remember like thinking about him in my trip and just being like, oh, I wonder like how he's doing. He was in bed for a while, like 24 hours. Um, yeah. I think his trip was much harder than mine too. There was a lot of yelling and stuff. And that's pretty common you know, with Ibogaine, um, it kind of gives you what you need to see. And I think at that time in my life, I was just so broken and feeling so helpless. Like I didn't need like a very rough trip. And, um, so yeah, Ibogaine can be gentle. I think that can be kind of a misconception. Like it's going to be like, oh, a dark psychedelic and it's going to make me 
suffer for all my sins and all of that. Like, I think it can actually be like very like loving. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, the same can be said about, you know, all these different substances, you know, and I, <clears throat> a lot of that is the mindset too, you know, I've, I've had, you know, experiences with different substances that, you know, on one hand, I mean, it was just all love and beautiful. I mean, it's just perfect. And then, you know, another time it was just pure, I was just wrestling with myself, you know, and it was, it was like an inner battle. And um, the entire time it was like that, you know, the only two things that I could think of was that, you know, my mindset going into it, you know, I was... (laughs) You know, one time I just had like this, you know, few rough weeks or days leading up to it, you know, and um, the other time was just kind of, um, you know, it's, it's a different, but that's, you know, like they say, set setting, you know, mindset has a lot to do with it for sure. <clears throat> so after, um, God, that must have been something. So once you got done, you just, you, you felt like alive, right? You just kind of, I mean, how, how did you feel? I mean, what was that like for you? Oh, well, so the day I did it, it was actually um, a solar eclipse out. Oh, really? It was just so random. It was like uh, almost three years ago now in August. Yeah. So yeah. Solar, yeah. So the solar eclipse happened. And I was just oh, wow. like staring at it. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, this is wild. <laughs> and I was talking to this guy who worked. Um, he was like babysitter um for me like at the place and I was just talking his ear off and like he was pretty fluent in English (laughs) he understood most of what I was saying (laughs) but he was so loving and so nice and he was just like yeah and then um we went down to the beach in Pius and I walked a whole mile which was like a lot for like someone who just got off Ibogaine um and it was just it was so beautiful and I mean I love the beach in Tijuana but it is like you know Tijuana so it was like I was just in such a blissed out state from that nice and so um once you're once you get done with your session so to speak or your treatment um then afterwards um what's next after that so after that, um, they watched me, the medical personnel watched me for like another day and a half because some of the issues with ibogaine can actually come up after your trip um, when you're recovering. And so once I was kind of medically cleared, I went back to the other house. I did some therapy. I did a lot of sleeping. Um just a lot of resting. I was pretty worn out. So it was like, I used up all this energy right after my ibogaine experience. And then I just needed to rest. And then I just remember thinking like, okay, I'm not in withdrawal and I can go back to life, but I wasn't happy. And I guess that sounds so bad. It's not that I wasn't grateful. It was just like, okay, like I'm not feeling a hundred percent though. Um, and then the people at the clinic they told me like oh well you're gonna do toad medicine today and I spent so much time researching ibogaine that I didn't put a lot of research into toad medicine I was just like okay whatever like it doesn't sound like it's (laughs) it doesn't sound like it's gonna kill me it looks pretty safe it only lasts for 
15 minutes tops. Now, when you say the toad medicine, that just for people who are unaware, uh, that's 5-MEL DMT, right? Yes. And that's usually considered a pretty powerful uh, substance. Yes. I mean, some people would argue more so than NN dimethyltryptamine. Well, it's different for sure. It is. I've done NN DMT now. Um, it's hard to get enough NN DMT. You know what I mean? Like in one dose. I think the toad is more powerful, but there could also be batches of NN DMT, you know, that are just as powerful. So I don't want to say it's like more powerful, but for me, it's kind of the ultimate. One, because you do leave your body, you do lose consciousness, or you do lose consciousness. Yeah, and so what was this? This was like a day after you had taken the ibogaine, and you were already. Uh, yeah, three days after. Okay. You have to okay. wait like a little bit, which I think is responsible and necessary. Oh yeah, I would yeah. Say so. So it was three days after. Um, the clinic used this woman who was amazing. Um, she was kind of like the local shaman in TJ. And she came in uh, and she gave, well, okay. So she came in and she kind of explained what was going to happen. And I was just like, okay, I just remember being so nervous she had a really cool, like, custom, like, bong-like thing to take the toad. Um, and I haven't seen anyone do that since. And so she lights it up, and I take it, and it tasted absolutely horrible to me. And so she grabs me. She grabs, like, my face and my nose and holds it. So, like, I'm keeping the, um, the toad venom in as long as long as they needed to, to actually like feel the effects of the dose. And the next thing I know, like I'm out and I have like a clear vision of me leaving the floor in Tijuana where I was doing it and just going to heaven. And it made sense to me at the time. And I could really accept death during that trip because it was like, okay, you went down to Tijuana, you're doing this stuff. Like obviously you died. And then this is death. And I remember seeing like a crazy, um, kind of like a sunstone with all these symbols. And they're very beautiful. Um, and then I remember like getting to like these gates and it was almost like a temple or a palace. And there were two guards outside the gates. And they welcomed me in. They were wearing these like really cool hats that kind of look like a parrot. And I know that um, once they welcomed me in, I went to heaven. And I don't remember what happened once. I but I know it was beautiful. And everything that like I had ever loved was there. Like even things that are still on earth. Like everything was just there. And it was absolutely beautiful. And then um, my trip turned a little bit because then after heaven, all of a sudden I was looking at the skeleton and like the skeleton had an essence. Like it was like a straight up like God. And it was very just, whoa, 
like, what the heck is this? And I can't really like emphasize enough how intense it was looking at this thing. And it took me to this beautiful house that was next to all of this water. And I saw myself, it was like I was getting ready, like I was primping, I was putting on my makeup, doing my hair, and I was going to go do something. And I was also aware that there was someone I loved a lot in the next room over. And then um, I saw myself like overdosing on the bed. All of a sudden I was like overdosing and I was choking on my vomit. And it was like a death within a death. And then the next thing I remember, um, I was back in Tijuana on the floor and I was actually choking on my vomit. Like I had thrown up during the 5-MEO and they're getting me to roll on my side so I can let out all the vomit and I did. And then I was just kind of like on all fours screaming and purging. And I saw the trippiest stuff with like skeleton heads and all these colors and flashes. And then I was like back. And I know this sounds so crazy, but after having that vision, that experience with 5-MEO DMT, it was just like, wow. I don't ever want to do drugs again. Like, I don't want to do heroin. I don't want to do opiates. I don't want to die like that. Like, I thought dying, like overdosing, it was almost like, oh, an escape and stuff. But then experiencing it, it was just like, no, it was scary. Jeez, it's, it's so crazy how when we see or have these visions or see these, <clears throat> these things um, that... Uh, scare the shit out of me sometimes you know <laughs> like that right there that you just explained was like you got to witness the entirety <laughs> of the experience right the all the beauty the awe and then the you know horror and you know that that death and uh god it's just so um powerful you know it's, it's powerful definitely Definitely a, a change of perspective for sure. Man, that's uh, that's pretty intense. Now, God, and you did that. What was it? You were down there for like a week, I'm guessing. Um, I think I was down there. I went home like week and a half, two weeks. So all that happened in a pretty close time frame together. Now, um, how did you feel after all of this, like coming back home? What were your thoughts like during the reintegration? I was just so grateful, um, so happy. I was really eager to get back home, which is funny because once I got back home, it was like, you know, everything has to change. Like I just, I wasn't the same person anymore. Um, and all I wanted to do was go back to Mexico <laughs> after that. And so... But it was good. I'm I'm not going to lie. I was really tired for a while. I had really, like, weak energy. Um, I wasn't in withdrawal, though, and I did not want to use. I relied heavily on marijuana, which has always been, like, you know, a good friend to me. Yeah. Um, it was really helpful, though. God, and geez. that's, um, that, I remember hearing you say this, uh, share the story before when I first, when we first met there at the, at the, at the meeting. And I remember, you know, just, just how powerful that is. You know, a lot of us have these experiences and, uh, 
you know, they always stick with us, you know, especially for the individual that's going through it. Um, but I think the most important part too is the, you know, the reintegration afterwards, you know, now you've had this experience that if you've had this change of perspective, perspective, you know, what is it that you do, you know, to change or, you know, um, what's your next steps? You know, I always feel like those are the most exciting times for, for people, you know? Yeah. Um, so I came home, I was still working as a paralegal and I kind of tried to make my old life fit for a while. And it wasn't until, um, I did toad the second time where my life was really like on the outside kind of changed. Um, I ended up going down to Florida and doing toad um, with the facilitator down there. And it was a pretty rough trip, but I came back from that and I just realized like, I don't want to work in a locker room anymore. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I had some money saved up, which was nice. Um, but it was kind of like a big thing. And I remember I got mad at a lot of friends and I kept thinking like, wow, like I'm such a bitch now and stuff. But no, I was just kind of giving myself like ultimate space. Um, I traveled a little bit during that time. I got introduced to ayahuasca, which was really cool. Um, after the first time doing ayahuasca, this was not part of my trip at all, but I got really into crystals. Like I just woke up after doing ayahuasca and I was just like, Hey, I like crystals. I want to sell crystals. And so that's what I did. I like, I went to a gem show. I bought a bunch of them. I started selling them online through Etsy. Um, I kept in close contact with the people, the clinic I did Ibogaine for, or I did Ibogaine with, and I started doing, um, kind of like coordination for them. When other people wanted to go do Ibogaine, they would let me talk to them. And so I would talk to them and kind of walk them through the process. And so that was kind of cool. Um, Eventually, I moved back to Tijuana, and I lived there for about three months at the clinic, and I got to help out firsthand. That was really cool. Nice. So you ended up yeah. you ended up going back to the same place that you had your first experience at, huh? Yes. Nice. You know, I I often you know I, I've I've been doing some reading and researching um, regarding ibogaine and. You know, it's it's the one substance like I said earlier that that sends out to me for a few things. You know, and and one of the one of the biggest things is just the the way that it's set up. Um, uh, I, I guess it's a double edged sword. You know, because on one hand, you know, you have somebody who you know, the same person, you know, wants to try out these alternative means of, of for like healing or treatment or whatever you want to, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, they look at something like Ibogaine that is very promising. You know, there's a lot of, you know, read papers out there, a lot of articles, a lot of firsthand accounts on documentaries and so forth. But, you know, it seems not as attainable as, you know, somebody who experiences psilocybin mushrooms, you know, um, now, obviously, there there is retreats and so forth and stuff like that when it comes to psilocybin mushrooms. But you know, somebody can easily cultivate you know a few doses for themselves, as opposed to ibogaine that you know 
you know, this is like a lot of people that I've talked to, they've always said the same thing. You know, I don't have the time. I don't have the money, you know, and it's like, yeah, no, I I get it. I understand. And, and, you know, on one hand, it's great that, you know, it, it is in a place like that where people can be, you know, like you, you went through it, you know, there was somebody there helping you and making you feel very comfortable. And they were checking all the medical aspects of it, which is really good, you know? And, and I sometimes wonder that, you know, if people pushed more for these other substances, whether it would get to there too, I think it would too, only because, you know, I've experienced psilocybin myself. And there's some times when, I mean, just the body load felt extreme, you know, like I could, I felt like I was going to have a damn heart attack sometimes, you know, or, or one time. And I think about it and I say, you know, well, you got to understand that there's many different types of people that have different underlying issues that come from different backgrounds and different, you know, states of health and mind to the point to where, you know, this kind of, it's almost necessary, especially if somebody's going to facilitate it, you know, there's a huge liability you know, side of the aspect of it. And I, and I wonder if, if that's why, you know, I began and these clinics are set up in this way, not necessarily because of the liability, but because, you know, just so many different types of people, you know, um, I guess, I guess for me, I always wonder, you know, is the, does somebody who is healthy, young and healthy and doesn't have these underlying issues, are they going to experience the same physical duress or whatever you want to call it as somebody who's, you know, you know, somebody who's been using heroin for four or five years and is going through withdrawals or is, or is it just, um, you know, are, are, would they experience kind of the same when it comes to like the, 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 the physical um, aspect of it, you know, that makes the, the, the medical part so important for Ibogaine? I think you bring up a lot of good points, and you're right. Um, different people take ibogaine, you know, and a hardcore addict, like they need different protocols. They need, you know, they need to go somewhere. They need to be away, you know, and take that time for themselves um, and be away from like a toxic environment. But like, let's say you have like a perfect candidate going into ibogaine, maybe just for like some spiritual reasons or like some depression and stuff, not to minimize depression in any way. But let's say that um, it almost seems like it's kind of like a roll of the dice. Like probably nothing is going to happen. Absolutely get your testing done because there's a few things that will disqualify you. Um, from taking ibogaine. It's important too to look at someone's liver function to see how they're going to process the ibogaine um, and what it's going to be like, you know. And then there's even some crazy tests you can do to see how fast you will metabolize the ibogaine. And that can also tell you a lot right there. Someone who's going to metabolize it very slowly is going to have a rougher trip, from what I understand. Um, it's almost kind of like COVID though. It's like, you know, you get it, you're probably not going to die and stuff, but then it's like, it's this weird thing where it's like a few people, you just don't know. It seems like things are going to go haywire. Um, I've been around the Ibogaine community and I've helped a lot of people, you know, find treatment. So I have like three years of experience. I'm going to round up. 
you know, with all of it. And I've only heard of two people dying during that time. Um, one lady, she was terminally ill. She had cancer and she was like 54. Um, she was coming off of something called oxymorphone, which is a very heavy opiate. And honestly, like if it was my clinic, I would not have accepted that lady because she sounds you know, like a liability. And I almost feel like she kind of did everything as a passing and it wasn't right away. She died from the and There were a lot of other things. Um, and then the other uh, death that I know of was someone who did the Ibogaine, was a great guy, um, but he had some heroin left over because, I mean, sometimes it's like if someone's not done, they really shouldn't bring Ibogaine, and he used, I think, 12 hours after the Ibogaine, and that's almost like, that's really bad. Like, you can't use opiates after Ibogaine. Like, you need to wait at least a couple of days or something can go horribly wrong. And it doesn't really matter how much of the opiate you take. It's like your body is going to freak out. Yeah, definitely. You know, I just... Yeah, I don't want to say that, like, you know, if you're, if you're in perfect health and all of that, like, I don't know if something would happen or not. I think that, like, for peace of mind and stuff that there's a reason that there are yeah. clinics and it's um, like that. I just, I always do better too. Like just knowing if anything were to happen, um, I'm well taken care of. Yeah. But that's also the way my mind works. No, definitely. I, look, I 100% agree. Um, I just always find it kind of, kind of odd that, you know, out of all of these substances that, you know, I've came across and, and researched that, <clears throat> that, you know, Ibogaine is, is, it's kind of on its own little, you know, playing field. And and I, I wonder, you know, what it is that, you know, got it to that point. And I mean, I guess it's not so important, but I, I, I look at it from the perspective of, you know, me. <laughs> but what that is, is just, uh, you know, I've been able to have these experiences with different substances and, and different psychedelics with, with minimal effort, you know, um, I mean, obviously there's a lot of research that went into it and, you know, obviously there was some, some kind of knowledge that had to be gained and, you know, a lot of trip reports and, and a lot of, you know, just looking at the extraction methods and then even just availability of, 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 you know, the resources needed to, you know, acquire some of these substances as opposed to Ibogaine and Ibogaine is just kind of one of those, um, oh, it's just always kind of out of reach for a lot of people. And, and for me, it's kind of like, it's unfortunate, you know? I mean, yeah, it's not as out of reach as, as I'm making it to sound, but make it sound. But, you know, I feel like a lot of people kind of just, you know, they, they don't, they kind of gloss over it, like, because of, because of just the way that it's set up now. And, and I am 100% for you know, if it's needed, then definitely there's, there's, there's no changing it. But for example, I had a conversation with a man who was having ayahuasca sessions, you know, on his property. And this is outside of the U.S., but, um, you know, and I, and I kept telling him, you know, like I, you know, I've, I've never experienced ayahuasca, but I have experienced, it, you know, the DMT itself and it's, and it's, you know, without the MAOI and, you know, I was wondering and asked him, you know, like, how would he feel if, you know, 
I myself were to brew something up and, you know, in my own home or, you know, my front, you know, in a place that I'm comfortable with and, you know, have a session of my own, maybe with somebody there who's had that experience, you know, and he's like, yeah, of course, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it would, it would, it wouldn't hurt you. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously he knows who I am. He knows, you know, the health that I am. He knows my, my habits and so forth. But do you think it's maybe just because it's almost, I mean, it's almost kind of like a commercialized type substance down there. I mean, I mean, it's not like, like here, you know, somebody can grow their own mushrooms and they can eat those. Right. And they have a session. Um, I just always wonder why or how it got to that point, you know, because I don't know. I just really do feel that a lot of people miss out on it because of that, you know, because I remember the first time when I started actually looking into these clinics, I'm like, God, you know, I don't, I don't have that, 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 that money. I don't have, you know, now it's changed for sure, but I could see how easily somebody could just, somebody that could have had this opportunity, you know, and didn't, you know, was just because of the way that it's set up. And I'm not saying that it's not necessarily necessary because I don't, I'm not a doctor and I don't know as much about it, you know, some others do, but for me personally, I just feel like, well, then again, you know, if, if all of these things were, you know, legalized or decriminalized, you know, it would be a whole different story for sure. I don't know. I, I just feel like people do miss out on it because of, you know, the, the way that I things think are. absolutely do, you know, and with my experience too, with talking to people who want to go do Ibogaine, it's like, sometimes I almost feel like I'm trying to convince them. It's like, you know, oh, and you have to do this and that and that. And it's like, you know, I wish it was more um, easily available in the United States. There are providers um, who do do it, you know, in the United States. And I have a lot of respect for them. Um, Personally, would I go to them? No. But... Like, let's say you're not using it for addiction. The reason I wouldn't go, um, well, now it's kind of different, you know, my situation. But at the time, I don't think it would have been appropriate because they needed to be away. Because if I had to be it, you know, right there, I think that could go really bad because the guy in the U.S., he's not going to... um, He's not going to like watch you the whole time. You know, he can't watch you for like a week. I'm sure he should stay with you for at least a few days. But um, yeah, so it's just kind of like a toss up in a way. There is, I would say the care probably gets sacrificed though when it is in the US and hopefully one day it will be legal in the US. Yeah, I hope so. I, I think it's it's a wonderful, wonderful medicine. I really do. Everything that I've read so far and all the, you know, everything that I've, and uh, the people that I've spoken with, I mean, it is, um, it should definitely be out there more. You know, I think that it doesn't get the type of um, respect or exposure as the, as much as these other substances do, you know. I, I really hope that, that, you know, with time, everybody kind of comes around, man, because uh, th- this is one substance that has really stuck in, in the back of my mind for sure. And um, I'm really hopefully looking forward to one day experiencing my, myself for sure. Yeah, 
when the time is right, you'll know, you know. We will see. So since yeah. then, let me ask you, so when, when I... When I first met you, you were um, hosting one of the meetings for the, God, I forget. Yeah, yeah. Phoenix Psychedelics. So I guess to kind of go back um, a little bit, this was, I think before, yeah, before I moved to Tijuana to work there a little bit, I just, I wanted more friends who were into psychedelics because none of my friends were into it. And I started going to psychedelic meetings in um, Tucson, which is short drive from Phoenix. Um, well, not that short. It's like an hour and a half. But I just thought it was so cool because they have a really big psychedelics group that everyone, um, you know, could come together and talk about it. And I became friends with people who ran those groups and they were like hey we're really trying to start one in phoenix um would you be up to the task and i was like no <laughs> and then eventually i was just like okay and so i started them just at um the public library i did it through a meetup and there was a huge turnout you know a lot of people um had interest. I don't really know what it is about me that makes me qualified to run these groups, but I enjoy them. You know, I just kind of like let everyone go in. My uh, main motive for it is to like make friends with people. And then just so people know that these uh, plants out there, like whether it's ibogaine, ayahuasca, mushrooms, toad, all of that, it's just available um, for people. You know, they can really help. Uh, mental illness and addiction and all of that for sure i i agree now how how long has the um group been up and uh, running we have been up and running um over a year now and so i think like started out with probably like maybe like 10 members on meetup and now it's close to 700 so it's pretty big um i've had to take on you know help from other people to run the group um some awesome people have helped me do that and but with the covid and all of that we are making our meetup um virtual now uh-huh. the time you know i um so for i got on this site the dmt world uh last year um and you know we had a arizona meetup group on there and that branched out into like we literally have like a little local group that we have here and we spent a lot of time online and i think the you know the having your local group here town where you can meet up with people and talk with these people like you said make friends you know, with 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 the, with the same type of, um, you know, we have this commonality with just psychedelics that we believe in these medicines or substances or whatever, and um, it just changes everything. You know, it it makes things real. You know, like there's a lot of online communities that have been there for decades, and um, that's something that I I really really enjoyed was having that local group and <clears throat> also you know going to the meetings uh, of the groups that you guys created at the meetup too, that was, 
you know, it's wonderful. It's something else. I, I feel that more of these groups are, you know, these groups are definitely needed uh, as well as the conversation. The conversation is the most important part of all of this, you know, more people having conversations along the same lines to bring more awareness and, you know, more, you know, we, we just kind of, um, more research, more knowledge, and um, just overall kind of cre create, it, it, it makes the community concrete, you know, like it makes it legit. Like we're not just somebody online that we just share, no, we're like we're actual people here, or I can call you, I can meet up with you and speak with you somewhere or even just online, but we're here in the same, you know, city, it really changes things up. It brings a whole new dynamic to the table and it's very exciting. You know, it really is. You know, I know um, that the criminalized uh, group uh, is starting their, their thing here as well. And um, that's really exciting as well. And I know you're, you're, you've been part of that too, right? With that whole group um, here in Phoenix or Tempe here in the metropolitan area. Yes, um, with the Arizona decrim movement. Yeah, um, most of it's just virtual right now because of COVID, but yeah, I'm just trying to really promote it to the people in Phoenix psychedelics and like other people I know. Um, I think the decriminalization is like, whoa, that's like a huge task. Like, where do you start with that? So they're still kind of getting into it, but um, I think it's amazing and I'm happy to help them, you know, any way that I can. And they just had a meeting um, with three really amazing speakers. And I think it's awesome because, you know, with the psychedelics group, again, I just kind of did it to make friends and for people who are really struggling to know that there are answers out there. Um, sometimes I feel like I have to kind of defend myself in the meetings or not defend myself, but I have to defend the group. And it's like, look, these meetings are not to get drugs. Like, um, <laughs> and I have to say that because if I don't say that, it's like, who else is going to say that? So I have to really put my foot down and it's like, look, that's not what they're for. And they're really not for that. Um, maybe like hear about someone else's experience, you know, and you can go to like a clinic or something they went to, but it's just really to share their experience. But the decrim people, they have it. So it's just going to be taken more seriously by a lot of people because a lot of people, when they hear psychedelics group, they're like, oh my God. Of course. You know? <laughs> well, see, that's a, a lot of the same things like online on this, on, on DMT world. It's the same thing, you know, they opened up the website and it's just a social platform, but then you get all these people that come on there and, you know, they think that, you know, it's a place to score some some of these substances, and that's one thing exactly, that. Yeah. It's like, no. <laughs> and it's constant, though, Kate. I mean, it's constant. You get people on there all the time, and that's one of the things that we stress out the most. You know, knowledge and friendship and the relationships are legal. That's free. <laughs> you know, you can do that, but the, you know, all it takes is that one person to, to go in there and ruin everything. You know, for everybody. And, uh, yeah, I've had people in the meetings, like I had this one guy just stand up and like he knew he wasn't going to be able to get drugs there or like told him, I was just like, that's not what this is for. And I say that in the beginning of all the meetings, he stood up, he got so mad, he just like walked out and it's just like, oh my God, like, 
you don't understand. Well, I like, I just think that it comes with the territory. I mean, that's just what it is. You know, that's some people have that in their mind. And, and you know, unfortunately for some people, you know, they, they may, be, may be at the end of the rope and, and, and feel like it's their last thing. But at the end of the day, there is so much um, information out there for you. And there's so much knowledge out there for you. And, you know, um, a lot of this stuff, you know, most ordinary people with, with, you know, the right knowledge, you know, you can acquire a lot of these things. But the fact of the matter is the communities are not based for that. You know, it's more so for us to be like in support of each other, you know, because a lot of times you get, you kind of get on this, in this Island, you find yourself on an Island once you, you know, get into psychedelics because obviously, cause they're illegal. Some people don't want to even talk about them. They, they get afraid, you know, and, 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 and rightly so, you know, I understand, you know, it's, it's the reason why we don't have video on this podcast, <laughs> but, um, it's still a, a, a good thing to have that sense of community and it does so much, so much for everybody. And it also inspires people and inspires people to, to get more active in their local communities and, and create those groups and have the conversations. Because I think at the end of the day, that's, what's going to push this whole, this whole thing through, you know, I think more people that become aware of it and realize that, you know, most of us are just normal people that have, you know, we have issues or, you know, we have curiosity or whatever it is that you want to call it. And, you know, um, we shouldn't be ostracized for it. You know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think the, the more that this happens, the more that, you know, society in general come or, come around. And I think that it's already happening. I agree. Yeah. So, um, so now, so what is it that you're doing now? Like, where are you at now? And then what's going on with you today? Well, um, so today I'm currently living in Shadow Mall, Mexico, which is very Southern Mexico. Um, I'm currently pregnant, which has been an amazing, Beautiful. exciting journey. Congratulations. Yeah. I know I said it before. That's good. I know. It's like, you know, life is so, so, so different for me now um, than it originally was. And it's, it's amazing. And I'm currently not taking any psychedelics, obviously, because I'm pregnant. Um, but like they've really given me so much. Um, I have an amazing fiance. He is a doctor. Uh, he also is a facilitator of toad medicine and yoko. And he does beautiful work with that. So I get to assist him in his ceremonies. Um, during the time that I did live in Tijuana, I learned how to give toad medicine to people. And so that was something I never, ever, ever thought I would do. And I would um, want to do because it was just so wild and out there. But living in Arizona, which is the home of the toads um, and just being around that, that was another thing that really like called me in um, to work with that. And then I just, I kept, it just kept appearing in my life and I really liked it. Um, I think it's one of the most healing medicines. And so before COVID happened, um, I was gonna move down to Puerto Pinesco 
and do give to a medicine down there with the nurse um, and live down there and have the people who wanted to experience it safely and legally um, come down there. But unfortunately, because of COVID, all my plans changed and then I found out I was pregnant. Um, and so that's why I'm currently living in Chetamal, just kind of trying to wait out this. And then once I have the baby, I think we are going to be moving to Puerto Canasco and giving it, which I'm very excited about. And I just, you know, food medicine isn't dangerous. I just always think it's better to give it um, along with like a nurse or a doctor just in case. And normally when people take it, they just kind of lay there. But there's a few people, you know, who'll get up, that will fight you, that will stop breathing, that will do all these crazy things. So it just makes me feel better. Like I'm there to hold loving space um, and give medicine, but I just like having backup. That's nice. Uh, I'm really happy for you for that. That's, yeah. I'm really happy that, that you got to experience this, you know, went to the experience with Ivy Gain and, and, you know, from being in a point in your life where, you know, you were sounded like, you know, you were confused or maybe you didn't want to keep living that way to being where you're at now. And I mean, although the COVID yet is messing things up, I mean, it sounds like you're on the right track and you're you're in a place where you want to be. Oh, absolutely. And I've learned, too, that, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, you know, and this is kind of just like God, but I'm okay with it. Like, I have faith. Um, I really like, like, life today, you know, so it's almost like, it's not like I'm in the backseat of my life, but it's like I'm along for the ride. I'm just going there. Um, kind of the ride, like, takes me because I, I just have faith and Every day is just such a blessing and it's beautiful. That's great. That's really great. I, I'm really, I really am happy for you. Now, um, let me ask you if, if the, so basically right now, your main thing, like if, if, if this whole COVID stuff wasn't happening, you would be uh, mainly doing the administ administering or being involved in the administering of, of the uh, toad medicine? Yes. And the reason I want to do that in Mexico is just there's a lot of people who do it um, in the U.S. And some people do beautiful work. Some people do work that I don't really agree with. But I just think it's better for someone if they can, you know, to take the time to go down to Mexico. And the idea was they were going to stay with me for a day or two um, and just relax, you know, and have that experience and not feel like you're gonna have to jump back into everyday life. I think it's also my legal background too, where I think for a lot of people, it's like a non-issue, but for me, it's like, even though I was you know, a drug addict and stuff and I broke the law a lot, I just feel the most comfortable when I'm not breaking the law, <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. I like, wise like does it really weigh on my conscious no but like overall you know um I also think that having a beautiful environment like around the ocean is it's awesome to do it in. oh definitely you know and the yeah. thing about the legal side or aspect of it is that um a lot I I think that it also becomes more acceptable or inviting for other people that otherwise wouldn't you know, consider it 
um, if, you know, you didn't have some kind of a protocol or something in place too. So, you know, earlier when I was talking about, you know, the way things are set up with Ibogaine, I, I just want to make it clear that I'm not against it at all. I just, I've always kind of um, gone back and forth between the guided uh, experiences <clears throat> as, as opposed to like the unguided, right? You know, I, I come from the, the side of, you know, I self-administer my, you know, the anytime that I've had experience with the substances, you know, it was always, I was doing it on my own with somebody who was there to, you know, make sure I didn't you know, choking my tongue or whatever the case may be a trip setter basically. Um, but I do, I do really see the benefit in, in the guided sessions and, you know, and people being there for you, especially experienced people and, and as well as medical professionals for some of these substances, if not all of them. Um, it just kind of strikes me odd, you know, to see, you know, this one substance that's, that's there and, and you know, I'm really not against it at all. I just, um, I don't know, it just kind of makes me wonder, that's all. But I don't think that um, if you really wanted to experience something, that it would stop you, you know. <clears throat> I think I so either. And I think, you know, it's just kind of about what feels right for you. And these medicines, too, like, they call you, like, ibuprofen and Toad, um, they really do just call you and so it's like you know somehow you read about it or whatever it might just start appearing more and more in your life and then you just end up taking them you know oh, i agree i really do i hope i don't really think agree. there's any like right way or wrong way um just use caution and People who talk a lot about money and that side of it, you know, they should be asking you just simple things like, you know, medical history, stuff like that. Like, that's what's important. Um, and just feeling, you know, if they're a good person or not, and I would say that that's important. And then if you self-administer too, um, I don't know. I've done quite a few psychedelics when I have to have someone there. I'm not good when I'm left to my own devices um, at all. <laughs> I need someone there just to be like, hey, you're okay. And sometimes it's even better too if you don't even know like the dose you're taking. You just have someone who gives you it. And then like, you know, you can just I don't know, but to each their own for sure. Yeah. No, it's definitely good to have somebody who does have experience or some kind of um, some kind of background in these things for sure. If you ever do really look look into it, um, I know for me, a lot of research went into any any one of the substances that you know I, I had experiences with, and um, it really helped out a lot. You know, I, I there's definitely cases or instances where people have had you know traumatic experiences with some of these substances and that's unfortunate you know i think that a little bit of time spent you know researching or maybe somebody who had that experience it would have you know changed it or changed their the you know altered that course of that experience but yeah i um, I, I really am um like i said i i know every time that i hear people tell their story it's it's always it's always a good thing and it, and it inspires me and kind of gives me that little faith. And um, I appreciate you coming on and, and telling your story. I really do. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's really nice, you know, to be able to share 
And um, it takes me back too, because like I said, my life is just so different today to remember like where I was and then really to remember um, the healing modalities that psychedelics are capable of is just wow, you know? And yeah, I think that psychedelics, um, they definitely have the potential to help a lot of people. Totally. Um, now, is there anything, um, is there anything you'd like to say for anybody listening out there right now or anything you'd like to uh, go over? I would just say don't give up hope. And, you know, as much as we've been talking about psychedelics, um, the spiritual component of everything, you know, just knowing that you're not alone, that there are forces out there greater than you. And even if it sounds silly, just say, I say I was raised um, Catholic. I don't practice that, not practicing Catholic anymore, but it kind of always taught me how to pray and like the idea, the awareness that there's something more, um, out there, but I would just say like, you know, say a little prayer, just voice your thoughts, just voice your wants, your desires, your dreams, you know, and I do believe there are forces out there listening and they definitely want to help you. Definitely, definitely. Again, Kate, um, thanks so much for coming on here. Thank you for your time. And um, it's been a really, really, um, really good time listening to your to your story there. Thank you. Thank you again. All right. Maybe uh, we can do this sometime later down the road, huh? Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, Kate. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Amazon. It's been a while since I've been on the mic. I spit what I like and looking for a different life. I landed and managed to be gifted to write.